0: man. Welcome to the introduction for Crow 777 Radio episode 117. We've got kind of an unwind episode this time. Step back, take a breath. Get some popcorn, chill out for a week here while we regroup and we come back. We've got a young man named Nick with Jason and I today. He's only 16 years old. Astonishing young man. Gives me hope for the generations behind us. He's been doing research on the Beatles since he was 10 years old. And so many people have done to death the Paul is dead thing. Most of us out there who have ever bothered to take a look understand the Paul we have now is not the Paul we started with. doesn't take a genius to know these things, but this young man actually found some new discoveries and brought new things to the table, some of it, about Aleister Crowley. But as we get in, it's just kind of refreshing to think that there are a generation or two behind me of people who are just not taking what they're handed, that they're logically bringing common sense to bear and reasoning out what is reasonable to think is true, Anyhow, let's jump in with Jason and Nick, and let's take a crack at Paul is Dead, because after all, the Paul we started with is in fact not the Paul we have now. There it is, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 117, and we have a very interesting show for a number of reasons here. We have a young man named Nick with us, and Jason is with me as well. Um, We're going to cover some ground that's been covered quite a bit, but there's actually this young man who is only 16 years old um, has uncovered what I consider to be new information about the idea that the Paul McCartney we see these days is not the Paul McCartney we started with, which I accepted a long, long time ago. Um, But it's interesting for, for more than just that. First off, This demonstrates that we have a younger generation coming behind us that are scrutinizing things, using common sense and just not swallowing a pill because they're told to do it. But more so, it shows that logic and reason have been applied to a narrative when actually probably the majority of the world is not even prepared to consider whether or not we have the same Paul we started with. But anyhow, welcome, Jason.
1: Good morning, Crow. So, hey, man,
0: I know that you are going to have a lot more detail as we go through these ideas. It was 20 years ago today, roughly, um, that I decided for myself that Paul that we see these days is not the Paul we started with. Um, And I never really looked at the details, and over time I did see some things. Now, I'm going to get Nick in here in a minute. I was exposed to Nick's work. Apparently he started when he was 10 years old researching this. He's now roughly 16. I saw him on Sage of Quay And it was quite an interesting interview. But for me, uh, so many people have gone at this. And it seems that Nick has uncovered some new real possibilities here that I had not heard before. Anyhow, anything you want to add to the intro before we get
1: Nick in here? No, let's go for it, man.
0: All right. Welcome, Nick. What's up? Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? We're great, man. We're ready to do this, and uh, just so you know, you are the youngest guest we've had on Crow 777 radio. But um, before we get started, I want to ask, what do your parents think about all your research that you started when you were 10 years old uh, around the Beatles? My mom's
2: starting to
0: think something's going on in the background, and my
2: dad completely disapproves 100%, thinks I'm crazy.
0: And so I'm correct in asserting that you started researching this at roughly 10 years of age? Yeah.
2: I okay. heard about it before I was 10, but I didn't bother to even like read into it
0: until I was 10. So what what was it that actually got you started looking at this?
2: So I had my own group of friends, and for maybe one or two weeks straight, they wouldn't stop talking about it. And I'm like, there's no possible way that one of the richest, most popular rock artists died and was replaced because one where are you going to get a guy that looks just like paul sounds like paul he's left-handed it's hard to find i know i'm left-handed and i know people that are left-handed but to find someone that's left-handed like only 10 percent of the population is left-handed so where are you going to find someone and even if he's right-handed how he's going to learn to master bass and guitar left-handed the way that paul did and i said the clues were just coincidences. Now, this was before I heard about Billy Shepard. I'm funny. This is before any of that. So I went out to look through everything to try to kind of disprove it. Within two weeks of me trying to disprove it, I was convinced he was dead. There was no doubt in my mind that he was dead because not only were there differences in eye color, there were differences in earlobes, teeth structure, lip shape. His signature wasn't the same anymore after 1966. He had a different signature, more a curved on the C in McCartney. So, the signature was off. And Free as a Bird, or something to do with the anthology, they show a quick thing where Paul McCartney, they mirrored it to make it look he wasn't playing right-handed, but they mirrored the uh, the video to make him look like he's playing right-handed. Then I heard about Billy Shepard. Now, originally I thought it was a man by the name of William Campbell, but Died disproved that one a long ago. I've heard of Billy Shepard before that. Just on YouTube, it would pop up. And I did notice he looked a little like McCartney, but it didn't really strike anything with me. Because Keith Allison looked a lot like Paul McCartney, too, so I wasn't that surprised. And I listened to things, and then I got this book, The Memoirs of Billy Shears, which pretty much is kind of a confession. But Billy can't legally say anything. So this book has to be put in the name of Thomas E.U. Harriet as a ghostwriter so that he won't get into any legal trouble. And I kept digging and researching, and then I found out about the DNA things. I found out about Patina Kirshman, Michelle McCartney. And then I came across a YouTube channel a few years ago by the name of I Am A Phony. Now, I Am A Phony is a corporation. It's not just a YouTube channel anymore. It's not just a social media account. It was always an organization that was started by Neil Aspinall. When Neil Aspinall died, Paul took over. And a man by the name of Billy Martin is the one who does all the social media and he's the one that makes videos. But the true mastermind behind it is Paul or Bill. And it it just goes into so much because you can't say too much. Like you shouldn't say too much because then you'll get people angry and certain parties will do something. A good example of this is Heather Mills. She can't say too much for her own protection. So I'm just gonna leave it that for a second. You could capitalize on what you think about that.
1: So Nick, a lot of what we discuss here on this show is social engineering programming that has been going on for decades and decades. And I'm very curious, at the age of 10 years old, what struck you to want to focus on something like this, some kind of hardcore research, Compared to doing what kids normally do. I mean, I have a daughter who's slightly younger than you. And even though she understands a lot of these things, she would never put the time into it. So I'm kind of curious, what clicked in your mind to break away from the typical programming of just be a kid, just do what kids do to focus on something that actually is is a much higher-minded thing?
2: Well, I was always different. I never really fit in that much. I had my own little things I wanted to do. Like, I can't go to school and say I listen to the Beatles without getting called an idiot or a faggot. Like, I, I can't do that. Like, I, I can't talk about the things I enjoy doing because I just get completely shunned. I was always in the different things while everybody was in a oh TV show, oh, this and that, oh, watch this movie. I was off doing my own little thing, not really caring. And um, when I started doing Paul's Dead research, it was just between me and maybe two other kids. And that was our own little thing. But then they stopped talking about it, and then they thought it was crazy after like a week or few. And I kept going on with it. Once I did the research for about a week or two, I couldn't stop. I had to know more. I needed to know dates. I needed to know when, how, where. I needed to know everything. So I just kept digging and digging. And this goes into social engineering. Everybody's listening to rap music right now. Now, rap music, not all rappers do this. I'm not being biased. But not all rappers do this. But the majority of rappers talk about having sex, doing drugs, doing heroin, snorting lines, things like that. And I look around myself, I walk around town and I look at the other kids and I see that they listen to these rappers and they're trying to do drugs and smoke and drink and do all this stupid stuff that would just make them dumber that the rappers do because, you know, they want to be like their favorite rappers, which goes into social engineering. Because like, think about it, they're putting these things out there because they want people to be that way. Certain parties want people to be that way. So they won't be smart enough to know what's going on in the background because they'll be too focused on this. And in the 60s, it was the same thing. Everybody was in the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. It was all that. And through the majority of the time period, if you didn't conform with everybody else, you were shunned. And it's, that's how it is to stay. I have to sit there and basically lie. I have to sit there and act like I care about these rappers. Otherwise, I get shunned. I get told to shut up, I get told all these stupid things, all because I decide that I don't want to be just like everybody else that's being programmed like a robot. People aren't thinking about what's actually going on. It's all materialism. They all want to have success, they all want to have money, they all
0: want to have fun. Let me jump in here, Nick. I'm impressed that you recognize the social engineering at that level. I'm even more impressed that you were able to roll it back before you were even born, back to the 60s. Jason and I have done so much work uh, about the social programming. And you're not wrong. I'll tell you as an adult that some of the music going on right now is the most hyper-programming, lowest-minded form of what they call music, which I take umbrage with. Music is supposed to have melody, complexity, harmony. Uh, much of what's passed off as music these days doesn't have these things, but congratulations to you for recognizing these things. And as an adult in this world, like I'd like to tell you, you're not wrong. And I know peer pressure is tough at your age, but anyhow, I'm going to hand it back to you, Jason. Let's get into uh, to Paul, uh, how he died, when he died, these kinds of things. Let's start at the beginning and, and roll it forward.
1: Well, Nick, just to tell you, This has always gone on since way back when, whenever. Peer pressure is a normal thing. But the music today is weaponized beyond all belief. And you can really see it getting into a hardcore thing starting in the 60s. But the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that the late 60s started putting out there came to a huge fruition in the 70s. And then they took it and ran with it from there. They over-commercialized everything. That's where you see the glam rock of the 80s. And then when that kind of ran its course, they did the grunge thing in the 90s. But by that point, everything was getting very diversified. And then they brought in rap because they want to get everybody and they want to pull down society as much as they can. Because when you do that, you've got control of the minds. And you see what happened. Rap started on the streets. That seems to be its legitimate beginnings. And of course, the corporation swooped in, took it, and then you have the disgusting depravity you have today where it's a celebration of materialism.
0: Well, let let me jump in before Nick responds here. I'll add this before we go forward, Nick. It's more important for you to hold on to the mindset that you've developed than it is for you to try to talk to other people about it. Um, In my view, people will come down a road when they're ready to do it. But I hope the peer pressure doesn't pull you from your course. But just talking to you, it doesn't seem like it's going to. But anyhow, we're about 15 minutes in, guys. Let's jump over onto McCartney and outline some of the things. And Nick, I know you've discovered some unique ideas, which are logically sound, about the the Paul is dead story. So why don't we start with, did the original Paul McCartney die? And in your view, how did it happen? When did it happen?
2: I honestly believe he died. There's no doubt on the back of my head that he died. So the story goes that people think it was November 9th because of the drum skin on Sergeant Pepper, but the way they set up their dates in England is the month and the day are switched around. So it would actually be September 11th 1966 when John was in, I think it was Spain or something like that, filming How I Won the War. Ringo was either with family on holiday or for a period of time he went and stayed with John, George was going off doing his India thing, now Paul was by himself in the studio. So the story goes that Brian Epstein gave Paul five songs to write within the time period so they could have an album out within the next two months. Now Paul, they just got off tour, so Paul was agitated. He explained to Brian that he was upset about it. He went and he got in a car. He drove off. Now, apparently the road and they point out this in uh, Magical Mystery Road, it's the 10 miles north on the Dewsbury Road is where the accident supposedly took place. Or some people suppose it's the M1 motorway, but in the memoirs of Billy Shears, Billy states 10 miles north on the Dewsbury Road. But on the way to that road, Paul sees a hitchhiker who's out on the middle of the street, can't get a taxi. Her name, the, I like to bring up the song Lady Madonna, her name is Donna. She gets in the car with McCartney. She distracts him. They miss a light. They went from green to red. They go through the light. A yellow truck slams them up against the pole. Car caught on fire. McCartney is decapitated. Face bashed in. No one could have survived that crash. No one. Unless you jumped out of the car before you hit that pole. So Emilio Lari, I think I'm pronouncing it right who was a photographer of the Beatles. He worked on some of the promotion for help, the movie, and he knew I Am A Phony. Like He's in some of I Am A Phony's videos where he talks about this, where he knew Paul McCartney died, and he had pictures of the accent scene. Uh. And goons, government goons, destroyed his house and threatened his life if he didn't give those pictures to them. But he didn't give the pictures to them. Nothing bad happened to him, but he just lied and said he didn't have the pictures. He states this in the I'm a Phony channel. Now I'm bringing updates. So a few hours later, on September 12th, because it was late midnight when the accident took place, on September 12th in the morning, Billy Shepherd's brought in. That quickly? By, by that quickly.
1: Well, I can add in a few things to uh, support.
2: It was a planned death.
1: Very possibly, but there's the very strong likelihood that there were Beatle doubles being used in their heyday just because...
2: Oh, that was a...
1: Right. That that was a fact. Right, because there was just so much insanity going on in Beatlemania.
2: I have pictures here of um, Billy. Billy uh, actually worked as a stunt double for Paul on the set of Help and Hard Days
1: Night. Has there ever been any solid evidence to support that i have been very curious and never found it myself but i haven't dug as heavy into this as you have i think
2: the photos that i have are bill he has blonde eyebrows different nose and a longer chin and he's wearing a wig and you could tell it's not paul
1: and what time period is this from
2: 1965 and 1964 when did the hard days night movie come out 1964, right? Yeah, I believe so. Right, so it was 1964, 1965, where um, all of the Beatles had stunt doubles for like certain scenes, but Bill was the main person that would always be called to be Paul's double. And for shows, too, for concerts, if it would get too crowded and the Beatles couldn't get out, what they would do is, is they'd make a quick change and put the doubles in. So that the fans would swarm the doubles and the real Beatles could go out a side door or something.
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I'm sure that happened once Beatle Media really took off to become the phenomenon that it became.
0: So let me let me interject here. Um, I think I'm with you, Nick. I think that it was planned. Um, but does this, I mean, what's weird about that is if this was planned, he supposedly picks up a hitchhiker. Does that fit into this somehow? Is somehow somehow the, the hitchhiker part of a planned removal of Paul?
2: It was known that Paul was having dreams of his death. If you've read the memoirs of Billy Shears, Bill states that Paul was having dreams and he was obsessing over the dreams. And Paul McCartney's father told him that if he kept obsessing over the dreams, that eventually would become reality, which is what happened. And Bill's uncle called and demanded that Bill be replacing Paul due to his outstanding talent. Now, his uncle called Brian Epstein or George Martin within two hours of Paul dying. When they were still trying to identify the body, Bill's uncle calls and says, "No, my nephew was going to replace him."
1: And this is out of the book.
2: This is straight out of the book. It, that like that's creepy, because they didn't even know if it, they they didn't know if it was Paul's body yet. They knew it was his card, but they. I didn't know if it was him, because they said it was a possibility that it wasn't him. So they were still trying to identify the body. And all of a sudden, this guy calls saying that his nephew's going to replace him. That's kind of creepy.
0: I've got to ask here, Nick, do you have any view, why was there even a need, if this was in fact planned, to remove the original Paul McCartney And I assume, 1966? Um, let's count the ways. Clearly, uh, it's interesting that you're pointing to September 11. But what would be the reason for that? Why did they need to, to replace the original McCartney, in your view?
2: Because the Beatles were doing, they were only doing certain love songs. They were kind of psychedelic towards the myth. Um, of 1966 with Revolver and Rubber Soul, but not really that much. And this is a theory by a friend of mine that they needed Bill because Bill could take Beatles to a new creative lengths and start a new trend, a new psychedelic trend, which would go into social engineering. And with the original Paul, they couldn't do that.
1: Well, let's paint a picture here of the timing. Revolver came out in early 66 earlier in 66, I should say, and this is before Sgt. Pepper, but Sgt. Pepper is considered really the changing point into their psychedelia. And psychedelia seems like it was more social engineering to really change society from what was left of that 50s kind of squarish kind of thing into whatever you want to call the psychedelic era and into the 70s.
2: Just basically LSD and hippies everywhere.
1: Well, it was a breakdown of the family unit is really what it was.
2: Yeah.
0: And the
1: moral, Um, I would add, yeah. Yeah.
2: But part of the reason that they're doing psychedelics, and Bill states this, they wanted people to get into LSD. This was before he quit LSD, after the big publicity incident with it. But they were trying to get people to take LSD. like They were trying to advertise it. And Bill claims that he was behind a festival, I can't remember the name of it, a festival where they were basically handing out LSD for free to get people to try it.
0: Is this over in the UK? Is this in the US? Where is this festival?
2: I can't remember. I'm going to try to find out. I know Mike talks about it. If you look in one of his videos, he mentions it. was some kind of festival thing here.
0: Okay, are we are we talking about the, uh, help me out, Jason, the, the Monterey Pop Festival or
1: something yeah. like that?
2: Yeah, Monterey Pop Festival. I couldn't think of it.
1: It is recorded fact that Timothy Leary and that whole program with the CIA, they were going and giving out free LSD tabs at not just big festivals, but they were having little parties that the Grateful Dead is tied to. And this is what they were doing. They were putting LSD out there to, uh, to get everyone into it, to create this culture.
2: They were trying to brainwash people because LSD... It's a well-known fact that when they were doing the MK Ultra experiments, that LSD was used as a way to try to brainwash people. Yes. And I think that kind of goes into
1: it. It's also very important to point out that Paul McCartney was not into LSD publicly. And then when we have the changeover, all of a sudden he's touting it, and he is the one first to go public to say about LSD. That's very important. Yeah to get out there and let, let folks know there was a very big change in his opinion during the time that the switch would have occurred.
2: The original Paul was afraid to take LSD because he thought, Oh yeah, just some exactly what I need is something to mess up my brain like that. So the original Paul wasn't big on LSD at all. He was in fact, that like, kind of afraid to take it. George Harrison kind of stayed this too. In, in the thing he doesn't say, Oh, the original Paul he goes, Oh, Paul's going on publicity things, and he's the person who like tried avoiding it the most. And he states so, that in the anthology.
0: So I've got to ask here, so you're drawing a Beatles connection, or at least a, I guess I'll say, Billy Shepard connection to the Monterey Pop Festival somehow, But so people are aware the Beatles weren't on the roster to play at the Monterey Pop Festival, as far no. as I know. They didn't play. No. But Jason and I have done work just to catch Nick up that shows not only was the Grateful Dead documented to be on the FBI payroll, but the people, Ken Kesey, if I don't even know if I have these names right anymore, all yes. these people were clearly operatives, and the LSD itself and the people bringing the LSD had directly to do with the universities. But Nick, what's the connection? It sounded like you were making a connection between the Beatles camp or the Billy Shepard camp and the Monterey Pop Festival, which was in America.
2: Yeah, Billy talks about this in the book where he states that he was working with the CIA to distribute the LSD to the people. He claims that there was way more people involved that he could talk about, but he'd rather talk about the purpose of what they were doing. And he claims that there was other people involved that were going behind it, and they were doing it in America because people would just buy it. People in England, like, they would kind of be hesitant, but the people in America, they would just go at it. And what they did was they put in America, they have all these famous things, and they were working with the CIA to bring out the LSD. Now, the Beatles, I think John, George, and Ringo had really not a lot to do with that, other than the fact that they were, like, kind of advertising LSD in a way. But Bill was behind the distributing of the LSD throughout that festival.
0: So I think I can I can draw a line here. If I remember correctly, correct me, Jason, if I need it. I think the name is Ken Kesey, um, one of the main founders of the Monterey Pop Festival, which, in my view, is the main beginning of social programming around the hippie rock movement, uh, was actually a press agent or something like that for the Beatles. Do you remember which one it is, Jason? Was it Ken Kesey? Is one of the main guys who set up the pop festival.
1: Ken Kesey's involved with the timothy leary crew i don't remember there being a connection directly to the beatles one was but let's not forget that there's direct ties always behind the scenes that the intelligence agencies in the uk are going to work hand in hand with intelligence agencies in america especially when you're talking about something like the beetle mania phenomena so if there was a switch i'm pretty sure that the american intelligence agencies would have at least to some degree been involved but of course that's just conjecture on my part
0: No, I think you're spot on. And maybe Nick can draw the the line. Absolutely. One of the founders or the pushers and shakers of the Monterey Pop Festival was an ex-Beatles. I think it's a press agent or something like that. Do you know anything about this, Nick? One of the former press agents? I've
2: heard about it, but I don't know that much about it. I've heard about it, though.
0: Okay, it is documented. I could look it up at some point, but it's been a while. But why don't you pull us back on track, Jason?
1: Right, so what we're getting into here is around 67 is when the whole psychedelia thing was really kicking off. Even Pink Floyd was playing at the UFO Club at this time, and that whole era was kicking off. So you can see the major shift that was being pushed from a social engineering standpoint. And, of course, you have the groundbreaking album coming out of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And that album blew everyone's minds. Nothing like this had been done up to this point.
2: The Beatles claim that everything they wrote in the sergeant pepper album was just straight out of the newspaper and every song was about a newspaper article the only real case of that was the benefit of mr kite they were definitely trying to change the format of what they were doing because they stopped playing live that was one big thing that happened that year they stopped playing live they weren't gonna do any more live shows they were advertising LSD in certain ways You have the disappearance of Bill. You can't really find much about him after 66. So, like, he's wiped off the face of the planet. You have them wearing these weird military colorful suits and the drum skin and the graveyard. And not only were they trying to change what was going on in society and change what they were doing and make people succumb to being psychedelic hippies they were also trying to subliminally put this thing in people's head that paul was dead where you wouldn't really hear that paul was dead but you would have a feeling that something was going on which is why people pretty much started looking for clues they were finding these messages and literally towards the end of the reprise song You literally hear Paul McCartney screaming, Paul is dead, really, really dead, bring him back, bring him back. It's hard to hear it. You could hear him yelling, but it's hard to make out the words because of all the uh, other noise. But on the I'm a Phony Facebook page, he isolated the audio and he made it cleaner. And you could hear, really, Paul is dead, really, really dead. So you were... You're getting these subliminal messages, but now you're also going to end up becoming psychedelic, and you're going to start being into that because, oh, these are the Beatles. At the time, everybody likes the Beatles. What are the Beatles doing? Drugs, psychedelic things.
0: Oh, wait, wait wait a minute, Nick. What what song? You said reprise. What song is that, was that audio isolated from?
2: You know um, where there's the two Sgt. Peppers
0: and the one at the
2: end, the more fast one? Okay. It's called The Reprise.
1: Okay, so you're talking about from A Day in the Life and what it moves into at the end there?
2: No, like before Day in the Life. They sing Sergeant Peppers again, and then it goes into Day in the Life. But even after Day in the Life, there's a little weird loop thing with a message in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, there is. Okay, so
0: let me actually shift a little bit here before you go forward, Nick. Everybody, I mean, at the time, Sergeant Pepper's was like the be-all and end-all of rock music that had ever been created. There was absolutely some kind of a bizarre tie between the Beach Boys who were engaging in a similar thing, just in a different way over in the United States. But one of the main themes of Sergeant Peppers, uh, I think you can add some things that people probably haven't heard before. The idea of why it was called Sergeant Peppers, but what was it, in your view, that happened 20 years ago today that they're talking about? There's two different things.
2: Now, there's two theories behind that. One theory is that 20 years prior, another musician by the name of Billy Shears was ill, and before he died, he said he was going to be resurrected in 20 years. 20 years later Sergeant Pepper comes out. Around that same year, Aleister Crowley dies. 20 years later, Sergeant Pepper comes out. Alister Crowley's on the cover of Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant Pepper, the name is kind of taken from Billy Pepper and the Pepper Pots, which was Billy Sh- Shepard's band in the early 60s.
1: Now, I listened to some of that, and they were doing Beatles covers. Not doing an, an incredible job, but a pretty close job. And from what I understand, this was pretty common in the 60s, that they were making cheap knockoffs of the big bands so that the parents would buy them for the kids, and thinking that they're going to get a Beatles record when in fact they're getting a single from one band would be, the Pepper Potts.
2: Yeah. Billy did all kinds of music. He did a cowboy record called Cowboy Favorites with Billy Shepard and the Ranch Hands or Billy Shepard and the Maple Leaf Four, some people refer to it, or it's like a cowboy theme.
1: That was another big thing in the 60s.
2: Yeah, he did a orchestra record, and now that one's hard to find. There's pictures of the cover, there's record of it being real, but it's a hard record to find due to the fact that it was only released in England, and the only reason he did Pepper Potts was to capitalize on the Beatles' fame so that he would intend would make more money from. More people buying his records because you know he's doing what the Beatles are doing and people are into that. So that's a way for him to make money and he was
0: just capitalizing on it. So I've gotta ask, I mean, we've got the pepper pops, we've got Sergeant Pepper, what what's the deal with Pepper? Why why does that theme come into everything? Can you address what it is about Pepper?
2: So the name Pepper is a little weird to me. I like I don't know where they got the that's the one thing I don't know where where does Pepper come from? From my standpoint, I think it's a little strange that they were using pepper.
0: Well, it's a thing that's hot, but um, you seem to relate the idea of Sergeant Pepper. You know, in the song they're saying is 20 years ago today, Sergeant Pepper, uh, referring to a person presumably taught the band to play, and and you kind of related that to Crowley, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Like the word pepper, though, that's the part
2: that kind of like why pepper. I mean, you could say anything. I think Pepper was just a kind of hint at Billy Pepper. But where they got the word Pepper from, even when Billy Pepper and the Pepper Pots was doing that, even that's a little strange.
0: Well, I can point out a couple things. Almost always the meaning of a word tells us something. If we look at pepper, we know it's a hot thing. The gematria or the numerology in that word clearly is going to have three Ps, which is three sevens. Um, I would have to look at it closer. But in the modern era, we have that word being used in popular culture right now with pepper pots from the Marvel universe. So there's absolutely something to be uncovered there about the name. But anyhow, go ahead. I didn't want to drag you too far off track.
1: Just so everyone knows, in England, a pepper pot is a pepper shaker. That's what they call them. There's even the joke that they used to call Daleks that when Doctor Who first got really big in the early 60s. So that's where pepper pot comes from.
2: I'm a big Marvel fan, so I'm shook now. I am shook
0: there's a reason these words, um, whenever something comes back in popular culture that's that big, there's a reason for it, Um, and we do see these things, but I mean, before we get away from the Crowley thing, you have a theory about Crowley's relation to the individual who replaced the original Paul McCartney, who I guess we're calling Billy Shepard. Can you cover that?
2: I believe that Alistair Crowley is the father of Billy Shepard. There's no doubt in my mind that they're either related in some way or Billy's the son. Cause if you think about it, Billy didn't talk about his parents. He claimed in the at the end of the book, and I'll one wait I have it right here. He claims right here on know the in the chapter know the difference. Pretty much the last chapter. He claims that his lawyer told him now in the chapter two Paul's He wrote more to that chapter about his parents. I'm not supposed to say anything about my parents due to legal issues that I might have concerning what I might say. And then he puts a little thing for Tom and he tells Tom. Now, Tom was supposed to. He never took this out of the book. But Bill quotes, Tom, make sure you edit out the other half of the To Paul's chapter concerning my family, his lawyer told him that he had to cut out the part where he talks about his family, which means there's something bad about his family. It's like something was very incriminating, and they were going to originally have two pictures of Crowley on the cover of Sergeant Piper, an old version of him and the younger one, but they decided not to put the younger one on, considering the Paul resembled a young Alistair Crowley too much, so they couldn't use that for the cover.
0: Paul being Billy Shears, though, right? Yeah, Billy Shears. Billy Shepard. I I think Mm. we're talking about Billy Shepard, right?
2: Yes. And there's a quote that's a common thing in the I'm a Phony videos where it's from 1970 in the Let It Be movie where Bill goes, we're all sons of the magician. That's a quote from Paul. We're all sons of the magician. And there's an anagram on the album, Memory Almost Full, For My Soulmate, LLM, Linda Louise McCartney. Now, that's an anagram all by itself. And then there's a thing where he refers to, Paul refers to himself as the king of Cosmania. That's an anagram for son of the magician. Now, Alistair Crowley was known to do magic, but with a K, to kind of differentiate his magic from other people's magic. And the Beatles after 1966 were big on magic. The magical mystery tour, the wizards that they were dressing up as in that movie. So they were in the magic past 1966. And Paul is still in the magic to this day, or should I say, Bill, still in the magic to this day, where he even uses Crowley's picture sometimes for certain things. Now, also Crowley states in in one of his books, that it's good to be a Mason if you know how to talk backwards or hear messages backwards. And the Beatles did that a lot after 1966. Now, Billy Shepard, before he got plastic surgery, he had a big, big resemblance to a young Aleister Crowley. And Billy Shepard states in the book that he had an uncle, and he's not allowed to talk about his close family. He can only talk about his uncle. And I believe that his father is Alistair Crowley and he's legally not able to say anything about that because it's too incriminating for him.
1: Well, let's make sure we point out that during the later 1960s, there was a very big fanciful flirtation with the occult in general, not just with rock stars, but with a lot of people. So this influence, this is when the uh, Church of Satan started up and all that. So a lot of people were dabbling in things they completely didn't understand. And of course, the social engineers wanted this to go on as well. So having these rock bands doing all of this behind the scenes occult thing, it makes a lot of sense.
0: Let me interject here. Um, There was an actual love affair going on with Crowley all of a sudden, and it seems to have started with the album cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Very few people are aware that there's a Doors album where there's a bust of Crowley. And, of course, the whole Led Zeppelin thing where supposedly Jimmy Page was buying Crowley's old houses, opening occult bookstores, anything Crowley was hot potatoes. But nobody... Up until now, I mean, if what you're saying has any merit, there would be a real good reason. Um, the biggest rock band in the world, the replacement for the original Paul, if he truly was the son of Crowley, there's a direct link to the social engineering into the rock that could be, you know, make Crowley such an important figure. But these things are hard to know. But there is no doubt that Crowley became very in vogue, even making it onto more than one album cover and becoming the hero of some of the biggest rock bands of the time. Anyhow, Jason, we're getting close to the top. Do you want to steer in a couple more questions before we wrap up the first hour?
1: Well, I just looked up Alistair Crawley and Paul McCartney to see what the birthday of Paul McCartney would be and how this might relate to Crowley's life. So James Paul McCartney is supposed to have been born in 1942, but Billy Shepard is supposed to be five years older. Well, in 1937, Crowley was giving lectures on yoga in Soho, so he would have been in England at the time, just to kind of put that out there for everyone.
0: Is there more, Nick? Is there other evidence that kind of backs the theory that you're talking about?
1: Yeah. With the Soho
0: thing... Billy Shepard's
2: official birthday, I guess you could call it, his birthday is on September 9th, 1937.
0: That, okay, so wait a minute. Billy Shepard is September 9th. Um, you know, while we're doing this, and I hate to cut you off, um, but we're we're going to have to wrap up the first hour pretty quickly here. I want to get the numerology out for the first hour. Mm-hmm. So quickly delineate the number 9. You're showing that Shepard's supposedly born on the 9th. But it's almost like the original Paul and the replacement Paul, Billy Shepard, were assigned a number through numerology. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah Paul is a 6 and Bill is a 9. Paul was all about the sixes, Bill was all about the nines. Which is why they use Revolution number nine. Um Helter Skelter is the sixth song, six six six. Helter Skelter being the sixth song that Paul wrote. The hand sign of when Paul did it before nineteen sixty six, he did it with his right hand, which would make it no, his left hand which make it six six six. But Bill does it with his left hand, which would be like flipping it, which make it nine nine nine. And if the yoga thing about Crowley is correct, because I haven't heard about that. This is my first time hearing about that. That dates add up that Crowley would have been in England around the time that Philly was born.
0: Okay, um, I, I've got to point out here. This to me, this is strong evidence because I've done so much work on showing basic numerology. So, if in fact the first Paul McCartney was numerologically considered a six, he was removed in 1966. Billy Shepard, numerologically supposedly a nine, born on the ninth, and then you know everyone can go back and listen to all the references in the music, number nine, number nine. Um, and what's interesting about these ideas is nine, of course, is a completion number in the cycle. Do you know uh, the true James Paul McCartney's original birthday? Was that a six? Do you know? I just looked it up. June
1: 18th, 1942.
2: There is a six. 1942, four plus two
0: six. Well, it's all sixes. June is a six, 18 is three sixes, and then 42 is a six, and we always leave off the century marker because it's like asking what day it is within a month. Mm -hmm. It's assumed you know what the month is. So, I mean, that is very strong evidence from my point of view demonstrating Mm -hmm. that the original James Paul McCartney, the true Paul McCartney, was, in fact, numerologically six. Is there anything else you'd like to add about this idea of Crowley or the numerology or any of these things?
2: Um There's one more thing I want to say is that the song Birthday was written on September 18th, 1968. September 18th, 8 plus 1 is 9, Billy's number. In the song he states, you say it's your birthday, it's my birthday too.
0: Let me add something there that you might not be aware of that's dang interesting, because he's talking about the original Paul and himself. But you see, 18 is often used to hide the triple six. In Crowley's own books, he says, any numbers used to make another number have a direct relation, which is how it was cracked that 18 often encodes triple six. So to add to what you've said, it's not just that. They're combining the numerology. Eight and one is nine, Billy Shepard. But the triple six idea goes back to the original Paul.
2: I guess I'm, I'm a six, too. That kind of made me a little afraid there. I didn't know about the six and the 18s because I'm born on June 18th, too. So, God.
0: Well, no, God, let, let me, let me sp- straighten that out. <laughs> me. No, there's. There's no reason to be spooked. Six is not a bad number. We've covered this so much. So many people online come and they, you know, they try to out you by your race or by the numbers you're using, and it's all nonsense. The only thing that matters about numbers is the intention put behind them, okay? And in this world, which goes all the way back to hermetic principles, everything has a dual polarity. So any good thing you can show in this world has an opposite pole. It's just the way this place works. So being a six in this world is nothing to be fearful of or nothing to be ashamed of is there anything you want to add nick that goes into the first hour and we do have to wrap up pretty quickly here because we get the first hour out on the radio
2: yeah there's nothing i need to add i think we've covered everything for the first hour
0: all right jason uh do you have any closing remarks for hour one of episode 117
1: you know this whole thing is very interesting and while i've never been 100 percent sold on the switch I don't even look at the clues and things like that. What I look more at is the physical characteristics that you can see changed from 66 to 67. And that's where I started really putting some credence into all this. But I definitely invite everyone to go look into this. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. This whole doubles thing is something that's gone back for a very long time, especially with politicians and other major figures. It's a very common thing, and there's some people who did some amazing work out there. So don't just dismiss this out of hand if this is not your cup of tea.
0: Right. Everyone out there is going to have to make up their own mind. For me, it was the ring of truth problem that got me looking at it initially. Way back when the internet was young, in the 90s, a search engine gave you a lot more than it currently does. And people have no idea how much search engines have been brought to heal and serve up what's approved search returns. Back then, you would get all these images of face comparison, forensic ideas, teeth, ears, all these things which are not so easy to come by anymore. But here's the main thing for me for this episode. Here's a young person coming in the generation behind us who is using common sense, who is using critical thinking, and who is pushing the boundaries not prepared to do as they're told, but most importantly, and I cannot stress this enough, recognizes social engineering. To me, that is the most important thing about all of this. But Having said that, if you're a person who chooses to accept after investigation that the Paul we started with is not the Paul we have now, um, what does that tell you about every other famous act in this world, in entertainment or otherwise, I would just add. But anyhow, that does bring us to the top of the first hour for episode 117. Jason, do you want to do a rundown at all of the places we're going to try to steer the conversation in an hour or two?
1: Well, we're going to get into the forensic evidence because there was some actually done. There is going to be discussion on DNA because of incidents that have happened with Paul McCartney before and after the switch would have taken, as well as the numerous physical comparisons and differences that have come up over the years.
0: All right, there it is, man. And for me, when you get into the numeral, one big thing, you know, if you want to call it Freemasonry or whatever the root of these very famous entertainment based things is words have meaning and it's never lost. Even reversed words or anagrammed words, and always the numerical value of words is put into play. And the simple explanation for that is, is because there's people who are aware of it. It is a very simple way to communicate with people in the know. Anyhow, that does bring the first hour of episode 117 to a close. And uh, I hope to see you all over at Crow Triple Seven Radio. At the posting of this episode, there will be 117 free hours of content on the website. There is no login needed. If you want to support free speech for the price of a cup of coffee, you can come sign up and support free speech because what we can do in the second hour is no longer what we can do in the first hour due to censorship. There it is, man. Cheers. All right. I wanted to uh, have a short addendum for the, the end of the first hour because I actually have a bit of a lengthy add-on to Hour 2, it has directly to do with the book that's referenced over and over in this episode. It's called Billy's Back, or the memoirs of Billy Shepard or Billy Shears, I forget exactly. Basically, Billy's Back. And on the face of it, people should understand what's going on with this book. The very cover of it has Sir Paul McCartney showing us his back. He's turned his back on everyone who picks up that book, basically, in it, there are many underhanded admissions about his connections to high ranking Freemasonry, which, in his own words, are Satanists, uh, the Illuminati, the New World Order. It goes on and on and on. Also, quite a bit of gender bending in the supposed humor where uh, the four Beatles are encoded as chess pieces, and the new Paul, Sir Paul McCartney, is the queen by his own statements. But more than anything, if you can't catch the second hour in the add-on I did about the book Billy's Back, you should be flat out aware of what's in Beatles music. It's basically encoded through and through with death subliminal messages all over the place. They even openly talk about Who songs, where a cymbal hit, where the drummer hits a cymbal, there is subliminal back-masking put into that cymbal hit. How many people out there listening to music and expect to be subliminally programmed when you hear a drummer hit a cymbal? And that's on top of all the backmasking and other things that everyone knows is there, the eye-buried Pauls, all all this other kind of what I consider to be childish nonsense. Nonetheless, there is no getting away from the fact that Beatles music is basically subliminally encoded with a death message, certainly heavily from 66 on, but in my view, even pre-66, there is a death cult mentality being coded into the music. And a lot of people will find that hard to take because everyone loves the Beatles. But I'm sorry to tell you, subliminal messaging has been put in music for a long, long time now. And these were one of the first big bands to do it. And that sets aside the fact that he openly admits that they participated in the, and what is it, MI6 CIA operation that was the Monterey Pop Festival. The Beatles were directly involved in the first flooding the hippie culture with LSD. Try to imagine how many people were injured through LSD, how many families ruined, how many morals destroyed. He openly admits it. And then on the next line says, but I regret having my picture taken with cigarettes in my hand because I don't want to be responsible for people smoking. I mean, it's a bit much to take. But I wanted to add that in. And the addendum that I do on the end of hour two about the book Billy's Back is really much more complete. We're kind of under the gun here. We have to come in in an hour because this first part runs on all kinds of radio shows. So there it is, man. I hope you join us for Hour 2. Cheers.